come to this fourth and final talk. And as we begin this, once again we call on the Holy Spirit to inspire us, to guide us, to direct us. Come, O Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, enkindle in us the fire of your divine love. O Lord, send us your Spirit and renew the face of the earth. And so the fourth talk is, I'm going fishing, fishing again. <clears throat> Christ has suffered, Christ has died, Christ has been buried. Is that all there is to it? Definitely not. In 2021, you and I, with hindsight, know what the result has been. But imagine the apostles. Christ has appeared to them. But they are still in doubt. As they gather together, they must be feeling the loss of Judas. He was one of them. And he betrayed the Lord. They themselves were looking rather sheepish because they had run away. They had said, we will never leave you, but they had run away in fear. And they looked at their leader, Peter, and he was weeping bitterly. The question was, what will we do now? Shall we go fishing? It seemed to be a logical thing <clears throat> because they did not know where to go. They were confused. And if they went fishing, it was something that they did normally. They did automatically. They didn't have to think. They could use that time to clear their minds and hearts. And so when Peter said, I'm going fishing, the other said, I will go with you. Even though they were not fishermen themselves, you had Thomas, who doubted. You had Nathaniel, who was a skeptic, who said, what good can they come from Nazareth? There were two that were not even named. And finally, there were two other fishermen, the sons of Zebedee, James and John. And so we read in chapter 21 of John's Gospel. Later at sea, at the Sea of Tiberias, Jesus showed himself to his disciples once again. This is how he appeared. Assembled were Simon Peter, Thomas the twin, Nathaniel, Zebedee's sons, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, We will join you. And they went off to get into their boat. Although the night, through the night they had caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus was standing on the shore, though none of the disciples knew it was Jesus. <clears throat> he said to them, Children, have you caught something to eat? Not a, not a thing, they answered. Cast your net to the starboard side, he suggested, and you will find something. So they made a cast and took so many fish that they could not haul it in. Then the disciple that Jesus loved cried out to Peter, It is the Lord. On hearing it, it is the Lord. Peter threw on some clothes. He was stripped, and then he jumped into the water. Meanwhile, the other disciples came in the boat, towing the net full of fish. Actually, they were not far from the land, no more than a hundred yards. <clears throat> when they landed, they saw the charcoal fire there with fish laid on it and some bread. 
Bring some of the fish you caught, Jesus told them. Simon Peter went aboard and hauled ashore a net full of sizable fish, 153 of them. In spite of this great number, the net was not torn. Come and eat your meal, Jesus told them. Not one of the disciples presumed to inquire who you are, for they knew it was the Lord. As we enter 2021, we are restless. We are tired. We seem to have cabin fever. And like Peter, we ask, when is this all going to end? We ask, when will the pandemic end? What will our Christian lives be like as we get back to normal, whatever that might be? There are a whole pile of questions. What will happen after lockdown? What will the normal look like? Will we be able to gather in churches? Will we be able to celebrate the Eucharist? The income in the church has been so low. <clears throat> Which of the groups will be able to carry on? Will we be able to afford a chaplain for the youth? Will we be able to have catechism classes, communion classes? Will there be a CWL? Will there be the Knights of Columbus? Will there be the SVP, the St. Vincent de Paul Society, to take care of the poor in our families? There are some of us who would like to worship like it was before, just like Peter wanted to go back fishing. But the reality is going to be something totally different. 2,000 years ago, when Christ came into this world, it was not only a turning point in religious history, it was a turning point in the world's history. The Son of God became man, took flesh and dwelt amongst us. And things would never be the same. In 2021, Christ comes again in flesh and dwelling within us. And what will be the result of this incarnation, of Christ becoming one like us in all things but sin, of proclaiming the good news? How will we um, heal the sick? How will we tell captives that they are free? All these familiar things will have to take a new form and a new shape. Because we no longer walk in darkness, we are children of the light. We had become and we have to become people of hope. Because without hope, we are like whitened sepulchres full of bones. We are like dead people walking. In the gospel, we have many pictures of people with hope. I just like to mention just one. And it takes place in the north east corner of old Jerusalem at a place called Bethesda. It's a pool. You can see, still see the relics there now, the excavations there now. And this is what we read in John chapter 5 verses 5 to 9. One man was lying there who had been ill for 40, 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew he had been there for a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am making my way down, 
someone else steps ahead of me. And Jesus said to him, Stand up, take your mat, and walk. At once the man was made well, and he took up his mat and began to walk. Just imagine, 38 long years, day in and day out, he would come there because he had that deep hope within him that he would get well. You and I have made New Year's resolutions, and they say on an average, most of us will forget it by the end of January itself. We won't even remember what resolutions we made. But this man was there for 38 long years. When you have hope, then you're ready to do anything. So where do we look for hope? In the secular world, you and I look for hope in the younger generation, the millennials as we call them. They are young, they are full of energy, they have oodles of new thoughts, they are brave and they will go where the brave dare not go. These are the ones who can think outside the box. But we look at them and they look at the year 2020 which has just passed as a year of apocalypse. They haven't graduated, or if they've graduated, they haven't gone through the ceremony. There are no jobs available for them. They cannot buy a car. They cannot put a down payment on a, on a house. They have got <clears throat> their student loans to pay. And now because of the pandemic, the whole country has gone into billions and billions of dollars of debt. And the thing is, they cannot socialize. It is from them, from their fellow uh, men and women their age that they get encouragement, that they get hope, that they get new ideas, that they are supported, that they are appreciated, that they are understood. It is from there that they get all the energy that they need. And they look at us and they say, you're not to blame, but we can't carry you on further. And so we looked for another place for hope. And so we look to our scientists and our health workers, our medical experts. And what do they tell us? Look, the vaccine has come, but we cannot give you any guarantee. This is a novel virus. We have never seen it before. We have never experienced it before. And so we can only give you possibilities lines of hope but not total hope at all because we do not know what the vaccines will have as side effects for a vaccine to be really good it has to be two three years and we have got it within six months and so where do we go for our hope today we go to the one person who told us i will be with you through all time until the end of this world and he did not give us a false hope. He did not give us a pie-in-the-sky solution. He simply said, I will be with you. And from within you, you will have wells of water that will give you life. You will have within you the energy, the wisdom, the knowledge, because I am with you. And so we look at the church and we ask the church, how are you going to be for us? 
a source of hope. If we read the Acts of the Apostles, in the early church, <clears throat> the apostles would gather in the temple, would gather in the marketplaces, would gather in fora and preach the word of God. Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. And people believed. But that was not the only reason they believed. What they also saw was the way these people lived their lives. They would gather together in prayer. They would gather together and break bread, which was a way of expressing of how the Eucharist was celebrated. But it did not remain, remain in prayer and the Eucharist. It flowed into their everyday life when they held all things in common so that nobody was in need. And because of that, thousands were attracted. We are told at one occasion, 3,000 joined the church, joined the group of believers the believers who believed in the way of Christ. On another occasion, there were 5,000 people. And so the church, if it is going to be a source of nourishment, spiritual nourishment, then it has to be relevant to our believers today. I would like to say that the idea that I'm going to share with you are original. But the reality is, I've got them from you, from people in the pews. And they've told me, in order the church must be relevant, the church must believe that it is still being inspired by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that gives us the wisdom, the knowledge, and the understanding to use the skills and the talents that God has given us. God did not leave the people of Israel alone in the desert, and God is not going to leave us alone today. God is going to send us, and God is sending us the Holy Spirit. And the church must recognize the signs of the time. The church must be like the prophets of old, be prophetic and proclaim the good news whether people want to hear it, or whether they are persecuted because we are proclaiming the word of God. The church must also put its trust in what I call sensus fidelium, the faith of the people, the faith of the common people in the pews, the traditions they hold, the prayers they say, don't poo-poo them and push them aside. They are our church and they make everything relevant today. Through 2,000 years, our center of prayer has been the churches, sacred spaces, holy places where we would gather together, where we would eat at the table of the Lord, where we would be nourished by the Eucharist. Because Jesus himself said, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink of his blood, you will not have life within you. And that has been the center of the church's life, of Christian life. But what happens in lockdown? We can't gather together. We can't be nourished by the Eucharist. So what should we do? Do we wither away and die? Nope. You see, the church has survived all these crises before. If only we look back into our church history, we will see how this happened before and how, we dwelt, how the church dealt with it. In the 17th and 18th century, the church in Vietnam totally shut down. All the clergy, all the religious, all the priests were expelled 
the churches were shut down, the country was closed. And they expected that the faith would die. And it would if it was not nourished. But when 200 years later, the doors of Vietnam was opened again, <clears throat> or were opened again, they found a faith that was thriving, a faith that was alive, a faith that was vibrant, a faith that was full of joy and peace. What had happened? Parents and grandparents took on the responsibility of passing the faith down to their children and grandchildren. They took on the responsibility that was given to them at the time of their baptism. Priests, fathers and mothers, you are the first teachers of your children in faith. They would teach them the prayers, they would pray together with them, they would teach them the scriptures, they would tell them the lives of saints, and they would meet in private very often, secretly. Some of them were martyred because they were caught, because somebody had deceived them. But this church grew, and this church managed to be without the Eucharist and without sacraments for 200 long years, to be without a place of worship. And so you and I have to find means in which we can nourish ourselves spiritually. And that is what the parish priests have been doing. They've had the knowledge, but they don't have the expertise of how to stream. They don't have the knowledge of media. And it reminds me of the missionaries like Francis Xavier and others who went out into a country in which they did not know the language. They had to trust ordinary people to continue to proclaim what they thought was genuine, what was true, what was the authentic faith. And so parish priests, what have they been doing? The parish priests have been streaming the Eucharist. They have been streaming Alpha courses, Bible courses, a whole lot of retreats and days of recollection. And there is an abundance of material and resources from all over the world. And people have been nourished. And now they also realize that the parish is not going to be limited by the physical zones of the parish, the streets and the, and the avenues of the parish. The parish is going to be beyond physical boundaries. People have been streaming the Eucharist from the Vatican, from other countries in the world where they find that there is nourishment. Parish priests will no longer be able to just say, I'm, <coughs> I'm going to just repeat what, the, what was read in the gospel. People are not going to accept that anymore. They want something more stable, uh, <coughs> solid and something more stable. And they will hunt around and they will get it because we are hungry for spiritual food. <coughs> Which brings us to the pandemic that we have now and how we have to be masters of symbolic gestures. And the ideal person has been Pope Francis. We not only have to be people who are caring, kind, and compassionate, we have to be seen to be caring, kind, and compassionate. People should see that witness. And Pope Francis has been a number one person in doing these symbolic gestures. He has washed the feet of people because 
washing the feet is a sign of service. It did not matter who those feet belonged to because they were dirty and they needed to be clean and they were clean. They did not matter whether they were men or women, Christian or not. He did that service. And he tells us, leave the pews, go out into the public, be incarnate like Jesus Christ. Dwell among people who need to hear the good news. And that is what we are challenged to do. He would go out and pay his own hotel bill. He would carry his own suitcase. He would be like Jesus Christ, incarnate, in flesh, among God's people. And so he won't stay in the Vatican Palace. He will stay in Domus Marta with the other people who live there. He will eat at the common table. And so we are challenged day in and day out in order to be like Christ, incarnate, in flesh, among the people of God who need our hope, who need our light. And in doing so, we ourselves are illumined. Because Christ has said to us in John chapter 7, within your own heart, there will be springs of living water. When people are thirsty, you and I can do that for them. That is what we are called to do. And so I would like to end with what St. Ignatius would say in his wonderful prayer. Lord, teach me to be generous, to serve you as you deserve, to give and not to count the cost, to fight and not to seek for, not to heed the wounds, to toil and not to seek for rest, to labor and not to look for any reward, save that doing your will is all that really matters. God bless you all.